Lord in prayer this morning. Yahweh, you are holy and you are sovereign. Our finite minds cannot comprehend you. What a gift is ours to come to you through Christ. We are grateful, Lord. Your blessings are beyond number. Your kindnesses surround us like air that we breathe. Enable us to see them clearly, to acknowledge them joyfully. It is our privilege, Father, to gather here to worship You. We pray that You might guard our minds and our hearts from wandering. May we be filled with Your Spirit, equipped to praise You properly. Lord, I pray for each person in this room today. Some are enjoying Your bounty. May they give You thanks. Lord, some are facing difficulties. May they know Your presence and Your grace. Assure them that You are more than able to guide them. Fill their hearts and minds with Your comfort and Your peace. Some here today are struggling mightily with sin and temptation. Lord, strengthen them. Enable them to remain faithful. Remind them that Your love is indeed steadfast and unchanging. We pray for those who are not with us today. Some are traveling. We ask that You grant them safety. I pray that You will encourage them and that You will remind them that they're missed and that You might, Lord, ensure that they miss being with Your family and honoring You together. Bring them back soon. For those who may be ill, we pray for Your healing, for Your strength, for Your encouragement to abound. Some are beginning new chapters in different places. Lord, I'm mindful this morning of Alex and Amanda who begin a new chapter. Even as we're speaking here this morning, they are setting foot in a new place, a new world, so to speak, called by You and commissioned by You to be Your faithful representatives in that place. Lord, we just commit them to Your care. We pray that You'd give them peace as their minds are swirling, that You would assure them, Lord, that uh, You have led every step of the way and that You are committed to provide for every step in the future. Equip them to learn language quickly and to serve You well and to advance the Gospel in Your kingdom through them. We commit them to Your benevolent and strong hands. Now, Lord, help us. Enable us, Lord, this morning to know Your everlasting love. Not just to know the words, but, Lord, to recognize how You manifest Your love for us. How You will show and demonstrate Your love in us and through us that others may be directed toward You. Indeed, 
Your steadfast love endures forever. I pray that you drive the root of that refrain deep within our hearts today and that it might resonate through our lives in the coming days. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 136. Psalm 136. It's infamous for this repetitive refrain that runs through it. It is a song, a hymn of praise, of rejoicing. A great hymn of praise and rejoicing. In fact, we could have sung it this morning had we planned it far enough in advance, I guess, and James could have written us a nice melody to go with it, or we could have done it, we could have done it a cappella. In fact, it is a command. It is an imperative giving to us. Oh, give thanks. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, the Lord of lords, for He is good and His love endures forever. It doesn't need a lot of explanation. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's not praise that's given arbitrarily to a concept that is God, but it is given to Yahweh specifically, intentionally. About this psalm, John Calvin wrote, the psalmist reminds the Lord's people that unless they were assiduous in His praises, they were chargeable with defrauding Him of what was justly due to him for his benefits. In other words, unless God's people are intentional, unless God's people are careful to give his praise, they are guilty of stealing from God. At its heart, this psalm celebrates God's everlasting love. Twenty-six times in twenty-six verses, we hear the refrain, His steadfast love endures forever. No other psalm offers such a predominant pattern, repeating refrain, that sticks this one thought in our minds and hearts. It's likely that this hymn was sung in a group session, kind of a, an antiphonal uh, pattern. One group would sing the first line, the other would answer with, His love endures forever. It reminds us of that Isaiah 6 passage that we studied earlier this year when Isaiah saw the Lord in, uh, high and lifted up on His throne and he heard the seraphim who were singing holy, holy, holy. And we learned that it was an antiphonal, antiphonal uh, expression by the seraphim there. One group was singing it and another group was echoing it. And it was so powerful that it shook the threshold where Isaiah was standing. I imagine that God's people often sang this psalm in the same way. It's an easy one to learn, right? You don't need the words on the screen. Maybe God was showing us something this morning. that We need the words rooted in our hearts to praise Him to glorify Him. Why is it important to praise God? Why indeed? Studying God's glory this year should make that answer 
Very easy, right? Low-hanging fruit. God desires to make much of His own name and reputation, displaying the greatness and glory of His preeminent purpose. That's what He does, is make His name known. This includes having His children sing praises to His name. Because, why? What? His steadfast love endures forever. You get a star, my friend. His love endures forever. That's why His praises are important. That's why it's critical. Studying God's glory has shown us this. Let's think about this expression, His love endures forever. The ESV translates Hased as steadfast love. Now, this is not an adequate translation. There isn't one that adequately translates what is intended. Translators have used many different words. They've used words like faithful love or loving kindness or mercy, goodness, favor. Strength, faithfulness, loyalty, devotion, and even salvation. To try to capture what is intended here. And they all fall short. Maybe if you gather them all together, you can get some picture, some idea of what's being conveyed here. Will Kynes claims that Hased is never merely an abstract feeling of goodwill. He says, but it always entails practical action on behalf of another. So it's not just a state of being, it is, it is a quality of being that acts because it be. Hasid refers to interpersonal relationships, either between people or between God and His people, which is what's on display throughout this psalm. It's an important word. It appears about 250 times in the Old Testament. That's significant, don't you think? That's significant. It helps us understand who God is better. You remember when Israel rebelled against God, even at Mount Sinai, as Moses was up on uh, the mountain receiving the law, the stipulations of His covenant with His people? And what did they do? They, they thought Moses had disappeared, gone away, and he wasn't coming back. And so they had Aaron to fashion a golden calf. You remember the results of that? They were having themselves a party. Uh, uh, I guess they called it worship. God said, Moses, you need to go down and check on the people. And he came down. He was so angry. He was so frustrated, so upset with them, that he took the tablets with the Ten Commandments that God had given him, those stipulations of the covenant, and to demonstrate, I mean, I think he did it in anger, but God used it to demonstrate what the people had done even before they agreed to the covenant. He smashed the law as the people had smashed it in their hearts. Then in chapter 34, God calls him up and he says, I'm going to give you the law again. So he writes it again on tablets, just like he did before. And Moses comes back down. Verses 6 and 7 in Exodus 34 say this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and listen, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, literally thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The key word there, it's abounding in. Abounding in or filled with hased, steadfast love. You can't measure it. It's unfailing love. It's faithful love. It's steadfast and it's loyal love. It communicates a deep and abiding devotion within a relationship. It has covenantal implications. God's relationship with His people. As I said, He delivered those stipulations in Exodus. And even as He delivered those, He says as He delivered those, that His love would abound to thousands of generations who love Him. Even when they stop loving Him, even when they fail to love Him, God says, My steadfast love will not fail. When Moses interceded for the people, you know, they grumbled against God because He brought them out. They sent the spies into the land. They came back with a report and said, They're giants in the land. We surely can't, we can't take this land. And the people grumbled and said, why has God brought us out here to kill us? Couldn't He have done that in Egypt? God was angry with the people. And Moses interceded and he recited the words of God's promise in Exodus 20. Back to God. He said, it's because of your hased that you can't judge these people. Lest all the nations and all the world fail to see your steadfast love. You're a steadfast, loving God. At its core, Hased always implies generous mercy, grace, and compassion. One author said, Hased surpasses ordinary kindness and friendship. It is the inclination of the heart to show amazing grace to the one who is loved. Hased runs deeper than social expectations, responsibilities, fluctuating emotions, or what is deserved or earned by the recipient. It is committed familial love, and it comes to life in actions. It's difficult for us to appreciate the unfailing nature of God's Hased. Humankind's faithfulness is vastly inferior to that of God. Let me see if I can illustrate. Hosea chapter 6, verse 4. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a second to do that. Hold your finger here in Psalm 136, and you can look in Hosea 6, 4. I want to show you something. Hosea 6 and verse 4. Hosea 6, verse 4. This is what it says. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love, your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew, like the dew that goes early away. Now we're in that time of year where we get heavy dew in the morning. Maybe not this morning because of the cloud cover. But a clear morning the dew will fall and cover the lawn. And you can see that wet blanket when you get up and look out the windows. But what happens when the sun comes out? It goes away pretty quickly, doesn't it? In fact, in a few short hours, you can walk out there and it's as if there was no water ever 
on the surface of the lawn. It's gone. And God says this is the way man's love is. That it's here and then it's quickly gone. The situation changes, the circumstances change, and human love goes away. It evaporates. Now consider a body of water like Lake Lanier up here. A larger body of water. It doesn't go away quickly, does it? It's, it's significant. It doesn't disappear quickly. But it can disappear, can't it? It can fail. We saw a few years ago as we were in a drought season that over time that lake could begin to dry up and the water began to evaporate and all the usage and it wasn't being replaced as quickly. And so it too could fail. But what if we took the oceans of the world now, I know you can make a case and say, well, you know, a, a nuclear implosion, we could probably dry up all the oceans, right? Something fantastic like that. But what are the chances the oceans will dry up? We take man's love is like the dew, the morning dew on the grass. God's love is more like the oceans. And I would stop and say, even this analogy breaks down because God's love is greater than the oceans. It's unfailing. It's unfailing. It doesn't come and go. It's not fickle like that of human beings. It's steadfast and it endures forever. My love for the Lord and others is so fickle, sometimes passionate, sometimes apathetic. Sometimes I'm thankful, sometimes I grumble and complain. If irritated, my affection will likely fade or even dry up. Get up with a headache in the morning, you're more prone to what? Be thankful and loving? No, maybe to grumble than to rejoice. But God never has a bad day. God never has one of those days where His love fails. Or where it's apt to to not appear. His love is steadfast. It is rock solid, completely immovable, unchangeable. He is always and forever faithful. Faithful. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says it like this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are what? New every morning. You cannot exhaust them. We can trust God's love because of who He is and because of what He does. And that's the case the psalmist makes here. His steadfast love endures forever. And here's how we know that's true. He said, consider who He is. The foundation of God's love is based in His character. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Athanasius said, God is the fountainhead of all goodness. James 1 through 17, or 117 says, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He is the source of all good. He is good. All that He does is good. We have this idea in our minds that God is a 
punitive God, that He's an intolerant God, He is a short-tempered God. But He's not. He is good. His goodness is the sum total of all of His attributes. He is an unrivaled God. Give thanks to the God of gods. All those things that man tries to elevate and put in God's place, they all come up short. They all fail. They cannot give what God offers. He is unrivaled. They are powerless, offering empty words at best. But God demonstrates His love for us. He is sovereign. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. All those who claim to be boss, all those who claim to be in charge, all those who claim to know what is best, they must surrender and bow to the Lord of lords and King of kings. He is sovereign. Only He. No one else. His character, we could go on forever, but we've spent a lot of time this year talking about the glory of God, the attributes of God. We can't exhaust that discussion. The psalmist doesn't try to do that either. But he quickly shifts to the manifestation of God's love. The manifestation of His love. Reminding us how we see God's love in action all the time. And he picks on some things that are very obvious. He says, what about creation itself? God's actions demonstrate or display His love for us. He alone does great wonders. Creation is so vast and we struggle to know and understand it. We think we do. We work hard to understand it. But Scripture says God knows it intimately at every level. He spread the land out over the water like shaking out a blanket on the ground for a picnic. He ordered the plants, the stars, the sun, every object in the universe. The lights provide us with purpose, with direction for our lives. The earth rotates around the sun. It spins. We have seasons. We have day and night. Calvin again said creation is a theater for His glory. And within that theater, God is showcasing His steadfast love for all His creation. God made all this that we might know His unfailing love. What about the Exodus, he says? Think back to when God worked in Israel while they were in bondage in Egypt. It's an incredible story, even a microcosm of man and his interaction with God. He brought His people to Egypt to provide for them, to save them from certain destruction. Circumstances changed and it led to enslavement, to their bondage. For 400 years, they toiled and they suffered and they cried out to God. Can you imagine how they thought? They had this precious promise from God. He was going to take them to a land, their land, and here they were in bondage for year after year, decade after decade, even century after century, and they must have wondered, has God forgotten us? Is God not capable of doing what He promised to do? Does He not care enough 
to do anything about our situation. But God sustained them through their bondage, their captivity, and then He supernaturally freed them from bondage at the fullness of His time. His love is steadfast. It never, it never can be exhausted. What about the Red Sea? When He led them out of Egypt, He directed them He directed them not to flee in the most direct route. He took them on purpose directly to the Red Sea. He placed them in a hard place where they could go no further. It was impassable before them. And the Egyptians came with vindictiveness in their heart, with anger on their lips, with their spears. They chased and pursued behind them. Why did God do that? Why didn't he just make an easy way for them to go to the promised land? A direct route would have had them there inside of a month. And yet he pent them up where they would thought all hope was gone. Why did he do it? The psalmist is making the case he did it to show them his steadfast, enduring love. That he could be trusted Even when they thought there was no way to go, even when they thought God had abandoned them, He had not abandoned them at all, but would provide for them in incredible fashion. What about in the wilderness? The population coming out of Egypt has been estimated to be 2 million people. 2 million people. And if you've spent any time at all or seen any pictures of the wilderness south of Judah you would understand that two million people in that territory is a hopeless, desperate situation. There's no fishing. There's no hunting. There's no farming. It's barren. It's dry. It's hard. It's full of rocks. Forty years, this mass group of people spent in this utter, desolate place. And what did God do? He provided for them. 24-7 for 40 years. Now you do the math. Two million people. God said, My enduring, steadfast love necessitates that I provide for you like a parent caring for the child. So I care for you. And I'm big enough to handle the job. Now, if he could do that for a nation of two million in a desolate place like that wilderness, can he not handle your problems? Can he not provide for you a paycheck? I think he can. What a portrait of his unfailing love. Sihon, Og, What's this about? Israel simply asked these kings if we could pass through your territory. Look, we promise we'll take a vow. We will not take any water from your wells. We won't bother the land. We won't disturb it at all. We'll go quietly through. Just allow us to pass through. These kings, not only did they deny them that, but they raised up their armies and they attacked Israel. was a peaceable people coming out of Egypt. They didn't have any weapons for war. 
What did God do? God defeated these enemies. And not only did He defeat them, they no longer would just be asking to pass through. He gave them deed and title to the land. He took it away from these cruel kings and He gave it to Israel. His love is steadfast. I remember a pastor sharing a story several years ago about a church where he pastored and across the street from their campus was an adult theater and they used to post those graphic um, uh, movie titles and things on the marquee. And so they sent uh, some deacons over to talk to them about if they would just refrain from putting those graphic titles up. And the manager there was very arrogant and he said, hey, you stay on your side of the street, we'll stay on our side. Well, they tried that two or three times and it didn't work. So what did they do? They ended up buying the theater, firing the manager, and showing family movies there. Another pastor went to the city looking for some help with parking. We want to use the parking areas that the city has here. We'll use them on Sundays. Won't we'll inconvenience the city. The city said, no, we don't want to do that. So the pastor went back, talked to his leadership, and they ended up buying the city block, built a parking deck, and then rented parking spaces to the city. You see, God's love never fails. He is steadfast, and His love endures forever. And He does not grow weary of loving His people. Humans, we don't understand genuine love, do we? We think we love. We fall in and out of love all the time. We love until we get weary of loving, don't we? We get weary of loving and then we'll love someone else. But God doesn't get weary of loving His people. He gets angry when we grumble and complain and fail to trust Him or obey Him, but He doesn't grow weary in loving us. His love endures forever and without end. And then He gives us this graphic picture, ultimately, of redemption. Notice what He says. Down in verse 23, it is He who remembered us in our low estate. For His steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes. And His steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh and His steadfast love endures forever. Did you see the change that took place here? He's no longer talking about Israel, but He has now shifted and He's now talking about whom? Us. Us. He's not talking history anymore. He's talking about present us. He's mindful of those who belong to God in the present. He remembered us in our low estate. The emphasis on us. But what is the low estate? It means a sorry state. It means a state of bankruptcy. What's he talking about? He's talking about our depravity. He's talking about Romans 3, 10 through 18 that says, There's none righteous, no, not one. That's the ultimate loveless future hopeless destitute greater than any wilderness we could ever think to experience 
He could have turned His back and forgotten us in our rebellion. You and I do it all the time. Someone disappoints us, we abandon them. From someone, find someone else we love. But not God. His love is steadfast and unfailing. He pursues those He claims for Himself to set them free. He freed us from our foes, from our enemies. This phrase, this phrase is so good. You know what? It implies a violent shattering of shackles. Now imagine. I want you to just imagine. We've all seen this in a movie. Thankfully, I've never experienced it. I've, I've seen one. I can't remember where, but I've seen one in person. You know those shackles like from medieval times? Those, those old wooden shackles where they put your head in and your, your arms in? And they clamp those down. Can you imagine day after day being in that situation? But let's say a victor comes in, a, a champion who's going to release you. He's looking for the key. He's looking for something to unlock it so he can lift it up and allow you to stand up and be free, right? That's the natural thing. That's what we would expect to see. That's not the picture here. The picture here is of being in those shackles, being bound and confined in our depravity and of our lostness. And the champion does come in, but he doesn't look for a key. He comes in with the power that absolutely obliterates the shackle so it can never be used ever again. Now, most churches, there would have been a resounding hallelujah right there. Get in touch with your salvation people. Get in touch with your liberation people. He has freed us from our foe, from our enemy, because His love is steadfast and it endures forever. How often I quote Romans 5.8 when I'm preaching. It Sometimes I start thinking it's too much and then I remember the message is worth repeating. God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were depraved, while we were in this low estate, God loved us and sent Christ to die for us to shatter, to shatter the mechanism of bondage that sin, death, and hell have administered to us. God's common grace is available, yes, to feed the nations, the world, but His effectual saving grace is given to the elect, and His love endures forever. It does not matter how far you've fallen. It does not matter how often you have fallen. God's love never fails. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Isn't that a great hope? That give you a reason to rejoice? Not just today, but even tomorrow on Monday morning. You can rejoice in that. That will carry you not only through tomorrow, but through all week and through the month and through the rest of your life, passing through this journey until we come all the way home to where we'll be with this loving God forever and ever and ever. And we'll understand His love by and by better than we do here in this now and present. Father, we thank You and love You and praise You for who You are. Thank You for this promise, 
Lord, the evidence that you've shown us of your steadfast love that indeed endures forever, I pray that, Lord, you would drive this deep in our hearts. There's some here this morning that have never trusted your love for them. They've never trusted you. I pray that today might be the day that your Spirit brings hope to penetrate their hearts, that shows your love to them in an experiential way that changes them today and all the tomorrows to come. Lord, for those of us that are struggling with temptation or sin or failure, fallenness, Lord, that continues to plague us, I pray that today we'd understand that you are a steadfast, loving God who is always faithful to pick us up, to dust us off, to make us whole, and to carry us home for your pleasure, for your glory, and for our sanctification. Lord, make it so in our hearts and lives here this morning. Have your way, Lord, in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.